global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we have to stand before you as the creator of the universe and just surrender ourselves to you. Many of us are just captured and caught up in a a spiral of addiction to media. And the most potent addictions that we see here in this area of media are especially the gaming issue that we're talking about today. And Lord, I pray that you'd give um, not a sense of condemnation to those receiving this message, but uh, compassion from, from you and from those of us reaching out. Give us wisdom, give us courage to stand for the, the truth and the right in this issue. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. This is Todd Gardner, executive producer for the show. If you've been a regular listener to these broadcasts, then you already know that our host for these broadcasts has been traveling all over the United States this winter speaking. I'd like to ask you to pray for Scott. Pray for his physical strength and for his courage and for his health as he continues with his grueling schedule of sharing truth with people both face-to-face through the speaking engagements nationwide while maintaining his daily broadcast. If you've already heard... You've already heard Scott passionately speak about his Media on the Brain DVD series, educating people about how the entertainment industry, and even the excessive relationship with our cell phone, is reprogramming our brains in negative ways. Well, we're excited to bring you some excerpts from the Media on the Brain series in today's radio broadcast. And with that, we turn it over to Scott. All right, part five of the Media on the Brain seminar. I'm really looking forward to part six because we are going to talk about the amazing, beautiful reality that God has created for us to live within. But before we do that, in part five, we have to look at the darker side of things, the counterfeit reality that is found within this cyber world of gaming and pornography. Addiction. It's a word that's sometimes overused, thrown around too much these days. I want to give you a definition of addiction. Addiction is something that is a compulsive behavior that brings short-term pleasure but long-term destruction. So I'm not addicted to breathing because breathing doesn't bring destruction. It's a compulsive behavior that I just have to do, but it's actually harmful for me in the long term, even though it may be pleasurable in the short term. Where did gaming begin? Some of you have been around for a little while and you might remember the first gaming system ever. It was the Magnavox Odyssey where they played this famous game Pong. Now Pong, of course, was, it was originally ta- tennis for two in the 1958 Brookhaven National Laboratory where they came up with this silly little thing to do. Now when we're, we're looking at a game like Pong, that's not what we're talking about in this session. Also what we're not talking about in this session is educational games. Many, many people may use math based Baseball, for example, to help kids learn arithmetic. And this can be innocuous, this can be in moderation, helpful actually. But at the same time, I also want to give a little disclaimer. Just because something is educational doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be helpful and healthy and, and moral and non addictive. Uh, some of the most objectionable games out there teach actually very interesting things about history, military combat, economics, and, and you can learn a lot from an addictive video game. So educational doesn't equal good. But I'm not talking in this session about a simple little game like math baseball. Although I should also mention Dr. Jeffrey Takeman of Duke University, 
He has come out and said, you know what? Games and virtual environments are the future of education. As an educator, that concerns me because I'm wondering if all the learning has to happen in the virtual environment, are we going to lose the joy of learning, the pleasure of learning in the real world where we have this dependency and this need to have this this manufactured reward system within the, the game in order to feel motivated to learn? So there could be a danger there as well. But these are not primarily what we're talking about in this session. We're also not talking about so-called video games that are actually very good training tools, like a flight simulator. If I'm going to learn how to fly, I'd much rather learn in a simulator that is virtual in nature rather than getting up at... 3,000 feet in the air and, and, and taking people's lives in danger, or a surgery simulator. They actually have those too. Very good way to learn. These are not what we're talking about in this session. We're also not primarily talking about puzzle games like your, your, your Tetris, just little, little puzzle games that people play on the computer, or a, a virtual motion game, you know, playing tennis on your, on your uh, you know, Wii Fit or whatever. These things are not the most addictive and harmful things out there. Although, again, I should throw out another disclaimer. I just said this to an audience a few weeks ago, and a lady came up to me. She said, I'm totally addicted to puzzle games. I play them for for 40 hours a week sometimes. I'm just constantly playing these things. So they have low-level addictive risks, but they still can be addictive and harmful. So even be careful with those. But what we are talking about in this session is games with any of the following components, violence and aggression or high addictive potential. Let me throw out some acronyms for you. There's a whole gaming culture with a whole language. We have FPS games. These are called first-person shooter games. Highly violent, highly graphic, very intense, and quite addictive. MMO games, these are even more addictive. They're called massively multiplayer online games. We'll talk more a lot about those in a minute. RPGs are called role-playing games. These are, again, very, very addictive, and they can form this counterfeit reality that you live within that we're going to talk more about. We're also in this session talking about managing control games or also known as God games. God games, of course, these are things that will put you in the driver's seat as the ruler of the, of the game. We'll talk more about those. They can be addictive as well. And real-time strategy games, RTS games, these can be very addictive and are actually a gateway drug into the, the crack cocaine of video games, and that's the MMORPG. Now, if that's not enough gaming lingo for you, I don't know what is, but MMORPG is massively multiplayer online role-playing games where you go online and you're in a whole other world and you're taking on a persona and a role that we're going to talk more about. I'm going to be citing secular expert testimony, and you might be wondering at this point in the seminar, Four sessions through, and he's quoted a lot of different secular scholars, atheists, and, and, and people that, you know, scientists who are coming from an evolutionary standpoint. Why is he quoting them so much? Well, I want you to know this is not just some preacher ranting and raving about his personal preferences and opinions on things. I'm establishing facts for you that are not from a just a Christian point of view, but things that even other people accept and acknowledge. So we're going to be hearing from top left here, Philip Zimbardo. He's a sociologist, most famous for the Stanford prison ex- experiments. Down on the bottom here, we have Kevin Roberts, and then on the top right we have Niels Clark. Both of those two men on the right are recovering video game addicts who have written extensively and actually counseled in the area of game addiction. Kevin Roberts is a, is a cyber addict counselor, and Niels Clark is a nationally, internationally renowned expert on the issue of gaming addiction. So let's begin. I want to start with Philip Zimbardo. He's pointed out what he calls the demise of guys. He says guys are just not what they used to be. They are 30% more likely to drop out of school than girls. Girls are outperforming guys at all levels of education. Two-thirds of students 
students in remedial programs are boys. They're five times more likely to get ADD than girls. They have a fear of intimacy, he says. He, as a sociologist, he's talking about how there's this social awkwardness among young men today, especially with the opposite sex. They don't quite know how to conduct themselves. They don't know the language of facial contact, of body language. These kinds of things are beginning to be lost upon a generation that is so plugged in to the cyber world. And he identifies that as the cause. Zimbardo says excessive internet use, video gaming, and pornography are the reason that our young men are really falling by the wayside today and losing what it means to be a man. And this is not even coming from a Christian point of view. It's, it's not like a normal addiction. A normal addiction, you want more of the substance that you're addicted to. An alcoholic needs more alcohol. A cigarette smoker needs more nicotine. But an, a gaming addict, a user of games and pornography, needs something new and different and exciting, something novel. Now, those of us who are not gamers, we're totally befuddled. We're totally baffled by the idea that people can sit there and play video games for hours on end. We don't get it. I want you to know why there is such a draw to gaming so that we can begin to empathize with them a little bit and diagnose what the problem is with these games. The first thing is, in all of these, you'll see they are seeking things that we're supposed to be getting in the real world. They are seeking them in the game. Okay. First one, community and belonging. You'll hear this kind of thing. you got to be at the raid on Sunday. Like somebody's thinking about not attending the raid with his fellow players in the game. We just gave you the black breastplate of unholy raging fireballs. If you take that and leave, then I'll come to your house and kill you. Now we look at that and we would laugh. We'd be like, what? These people are mad. This is an actual kind of conversation that takes place in the gaming world. Guild mentality, where your community, your clan, your guild needs you to be there. And if you're not there, if you think about quitting... Oh, don't even think about that. You'll get tremendous abuse thrown at you from these people. It's like going to a bar and telling people you're thinking about giving up alcohol with your drinking buddies. Well, we also see a second need that is fulfilled. The first was community and belonging in these guilds and this community in the game. Secondly, achievement in this hyper-competitive world. So there begins to be an illusion of manhood, especially with the young men. Uh, girls, too, I get into the gaming, too, but there's this heroic conquest of, of masculinity pursuing things in the gaming world. They did a study, and they found that actually less than 25% of massively multiplayer online role-playing game gamers, less than 25% of them actually feel better about themselves while they're playing. So it's a momentary like feeling of achievement, but you don't actually feel good about yourself deeply in studies they've shown. Here's a quote from... Niels Clark, he says, Good games provide the illusion that a player's accomplishments were insurmountable feats, the stuff of poetry and legend. When in fact, every one of the player's successes and victories were planned. The game was designed by a game designer. They planned for you to have that victory. It's all an illusion. On the matter of achievement, we read from Kevin Roberts, Although we have trouble organizing our bedrooms and closets or keeping track of important papers, we successfully manage entire economic systems in our games. We gloss over many crucial details in our real lives, yet exhibit laser-like concentration on our electronic battlegrounds. Achievement. And it's all a fraud. A third one is escape. Kevin Roberts, in his counseling of many different gaming addicts, has found a trend that is woven through nearly every person he's counseled, that they're escaping something from their life. They're avoiding something in their life. There's a real issue there that they are escaping. And that's a sad thing, that that counseling really can heal. A fourth uh, reason that there's such a draw to gaming is role-playing. I can find purpose and identity in being this guy in the game. And in fact, the video games advertise tap into this in their advertisements. 
the PlayStation ad says, I live a double life. Indeed, role-playing is huge in the gaming world. Another thing is aggression. Uh, It's a release of aggression and also a reinforcement of aggression. One study showed that hostility was increased both in subjects playing a highly aggressive video game and those playing a mildly aggressive video game. Subjects who had played a highly aggressive game were significantly more anxious than other subjects. So in other words, the more aggression the game has, the more anxious you'll be. But it doesn't matter if it's highly or mildly aggressive, you will have more feelings of hostility after you play these games. And also we found that the latest brain research shows that violent games activate the anger center of the teenage brain while dampening the brain's conscience. So that's a very serious consequence. Another thing, competition. There's this I'm better than you dynamic. There's this I'm going to beat you principle that started with Lucifer in heaven when he said, I, 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 I will ascend the throne and be like the most high. The competitive spirit is big in the gaming world. Next, a discovery. There, there are discovery-oriented gamers who love to explore. They're, they're, they're curious. They like to explore every inch of territory in the game. And there's, there's hidden things. There's tricks. There's cheats. And the discovery-oriented gamer just gets immersed in that for hours on end and misses out on discovery in the real world. Another thing is just straight pleasure. There's an ad for a video game that said, the prospective buyers of this video game can satisfy primal urges using real-life choice scenarios that are so immoral I won't even mention them. So there's a lot of immoral pleasures happening in the video game, and that's part of the draw to the video gaming. The last is the story aspect. When you go into the game world, it's not just playing a game. It's not just trying to do things. You're actually going through a storyline in the games. And, and, and really, in our real existence, in reality... There is a great story that we are a part of, isn't there? We, we are called to be on a great quest for the Lord. And, and, and what we're doing is we get into this counterfeit story in the game. And, but we have this human sense, this human need that, w- that we know that there's a story, but we get diverted onto a false one. And that's really what's happening, in, especially in the role-playing games. And the role-playing games are surpassing the novels as the, the best uh, character development storytelling in our culture today. And it's just another distraction from the one true story. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com or write to us at 11333 Bacchus Road, Lakeview, Michigan, 48850. What does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes? Well, the George Barna research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults, these parents' number one aim in the parenting of their children was character development. They understood that their job was to form the character of their children to reflect the law of God and the character of Christ. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now, more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. 
joyful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend. Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. talk for just a moment about this other world. J.R.R. Tolkien, a uh, fantasy novel writer, he said, you don't need to force people to suspend their disbelief in the fantasy. They just fall into it. And he also said that through what he called enchantment, that's, that's a term from spiritualism, you can, quote, enter into a dream that another mind is weaving. That sounds creepy to me, actually. And he said also that the creator of this secondary world. The writer of this novel, the creator of this game, is following in the footsteps of the creator God. Now, I, I, I don't believe that we should be the cre- like the creator God in that, in that sense. We should be like him in character, forgiving, merciful, etc. Uh, but the devil, when he said, I want to be like God, he really wanted the position of God. When he said, I will be like the Most High, In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, he wanted to be in that role. He wanted to be in the seat of God. God is the creator of one reality. He created one world for us to live within, one universe to live within. And if I go and invent a fantasy reality, I'm trying to usurp the role of God in that position to immerse somebody else into a counterfeit reality. Niels Clark explains that, and he's been in this world, recovering video game addict, it casts a spell on us, he says. Other experts talk about how we suspend this disbelief in reality. This is Steven Pinker, a psychologist. He says the visual system never learns that television, or a screen for video game for that matter, is a pain of glowing phosphor dots. And the person never loses the illusion that there is a world behind the pain. So he's saying the visual system, when you're watching the game, when you're watching the TV, you might be able to explain to somebody that, of course, this is not real. But the visual system doesn't know it's not real. 
you're experiencing as if it is real. Like we saw with the monkeys when they looked at the peanuts. What you see, you're experiencing as if it is your reality. Another expert on this, Iowa, Iowa State, says what, what happens is that people often suspend disbelief and immerse themselves cognitively in the environment. Avid gamers will tell you that they, in a sense, become one with the environment. And that is the big word, immersion. To immerse yourself in that world is how gamers talk about that. This is very real to the human body. It can release a variety of chemicals responding to games as though they were a completely real physical experience. Visual images seem to have the ability, visually, images seem to have the ability to immerse and enchant us with or without our permission. Experiences that professionals painstakingly design. So you're in this world and you feel that it's real. That's how you can stay in it so long. In fact, Kevin Roberts says that the strongly addicted player relates to this online world as the real world. So video gaming is not just a distraction. Like TV is a distraction, silly novels, whatever. You're distracted from real life. No, 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 no. You know, when it used to be a fantasy novel, this was more difficult to do with text, to immerse somebody into a fantasy world, reading about dragons and elves and all sorts of nonsense. It's hard to really get somebody immersed with text, but with visual images, it happens instantly. You know, brilliantly crafted words can do it, but there's nothing like a visual experience in the video game world. So what happens? The video game world's so dynamic, so capturing, so immersive. Here's how Niels Clark put it. These places, the video game world, where you're immersed in this, in this place, it, it's in direct competition with the rest of reality. Most of the entertainment we've had in human history gives us natural breaking points. The chapter ends, the film ends, or there's a commercial break. Most games are set up to be played for long periods of time. It's built into the fabric of the gamer culture. It's encouraged by game marketing. And there aren't enough good stopping points in most games for people to stop, look at the clock, and realize that it's time to sleep. This will then dull the taste for reality. And the mediocrity of reality seems like torture by comparison. In fact, they found, speaking of this issue of immersion and immersing yourself into the game, Nottingham Trent University and Stockholm University did a research where they discovered game transfer phenomenon. They found that players in a virtual world were beginning to blur the lines between the game and reality once they came out of the game. In other words, they started doing things in the real world as if they were still in the game. Now, you might be thinking at this point about mass shooters, about these young people, many of which are gamers. Is there a connection there? I believe so. Now, that's not to say every gamer is going to become a mass shooter, but it sure isn't helping. And these, these mass shooters happen to be gamers. So if there were no games, we may not have ended up with those mass shootings. So let's look even deeper into this because they call it portals to another world. Like most addicts, says Kevin Roberts, we hide our behavior. We consider our bedroom a holy place. We want to be alone and uninterrupted while indulging in our obsession. The game console and the social network interface are portals to another world. When you talk to us or the phone rings, we are forced to come back to the real world. We find that irritating. We neither desire to see your face nor hear your voice when we are in that virtual space. From our perspective, any interruption is an extreme violation. We want you to stay away. And I know there are many mothers in America whose young sons, teenage sons especially, immersing themselves in the game world in tears over the fact that their child wants them to stay away. It's such a, such a horrendous interruption. He's addicted. We're going to talk more of overcoming addictions in session six. Stick around for that and what, how to deal with this. But 
I ask the question, is game even a meaningful word to use with these, these, these new worlds that have been created? And remember, the visual system and the body experiences it as if it is reality. It's a counterfeit reality, an alternate reality. Now, in reading and studying up on video games, people point out many benefits. There are many benefits of video games. You don't want to be so extreme. And so I've analyzed these benefits, and let's take a look and be fair. We'll take a look and see if this actually adds up. First benefit of video gaming. They have found that video gaming for preschoolers can improve motor skills and spatial reasoning. So, kids go from passively watching TV to doing this with their hands, and so they're gaining motor skills. Okay, true. But can't they go from passively watching TV to playing with blocks and toys and cars and balls and improving motor skills? Do you need a video game in order to... No, you don't. Um, Also, spatial reasoning. You go from passively watching a TV to navigating somebody through a three-dimensional world, so you're going to improve your three-dimensional thinking, your spatial reasoning. But again, I ask, what kind of world do we live in? A three-dimensional one. So you can go from passively watching the TV to just live in the three-dimensional real world, moving blocks around and all sorts of things, and you'll acquire that same spatial reasoning. You don't need the game in order to do that. Reality as God designed it provides us ample opportunities to learn these things. Second so-called benefit. It improves problem-solving skills, they say. Now, I find that a sad commentary of the state of society when we feel we need to go into an alternate reality to find problems to solve. (laughs) How did people learn problem-solving skills for thousands of years? If our kids weren't glued to the TV screen all the time, if we were living in the real world, in real life, we would find many problems to solve. So, enough there. Pro-social games, they have games out there where you can go and feed the hungry or plant a tree and improve the environment and do work together as a team. And I'm going, wait a minute. If I want to do positive things, why don't I actually do them for real people <laughs> instead of a counterfeit hungry person, an alternate reality so society that I'm, that I'm improving? Why don't I improve the real society? So another one that I was a little puzzled by. The fourth so-called benefit of gaming. They've found that in some cases, gaming, certain kinds of game, reduces stress and depression in some. Actually, depression goes up with your typical gamer. Um, But basically, the same argument can be made for doing Eastern meditation. Uh, It can reduce depression and anxiety. But the same benefits have also been found in, as we studied earlier, contemplating a God of love, studying the Word of God, with the added benefit of frontal lobe improvement. So you can have lower stress and depression by just doing what God has asked us to do. You don't have to go into Eastern meditation or gaming in order to gain those benefits. Fifth, so-called benefit. Improved skills that would be used to kill people. In other words, vision, movement, trigger, reaction time, these things. I'm not very interested in training young people or anybody to be better killers, but this has been a so-called benefit, and this is why the military has poured millions of dollars into the gaming industry. That, again, is not something I'm interested in, in finding as a benefit. This one, I actually, I can, I can give some credit to. Chronically ill children with leukemia, whatever, they're dying in, in the hospital. They've shown that if, if you give them a little bit of a game to play, it, it re-amps, it, it revitalizes the will-to-live circuitry in the brain. And so they, they've actually been shown to improve a little bit. And if somebody's in that situation, give them a little bit of a game to play. Go for it. Help them live. You know, it's like taking a, a, a drug. If you need to take a drug, it's not ideal. But if it's going to lead to a great result, go for it. So that's the one I don't object to. But most of us aren't chronically ill children, so. 
but that doesn't mean we should all start playing the games. We have, we have plenty of will to live, uh, the rest of us, and things to do for God in these last days. This is a sad one. They say video gaming promotes exercise because you get up there with your, like I said, the tennis or whatever. And, and it's such a sad commentary on society that we, uh, we do so little with our hands and our bodies. We don't live like we used to live that we actually have to create a video game in order to exercise. That's sad. That's all I'll say about that. One last one. Spending family time together. I just can't help but ask, are there no productive, moral, healthy, brain-enhancing, non-addictive things that we can do as a family that that build character? Video game and TV-free kids are shown in studies to be just more well-adjusted. They're not weirdos. They're not, you know, like your stereotypical people that that don't watch TV. They are more involved in in many different activities. And you do these kinds of things as a a family, and you're going to be in much better shape than if you're playing video games and risking your child being immersed and addicted into it. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Who's the musician behind the music? Page and Plant explained how they received the song Stairway to Heaven and Other Music, referring to themselves as, quote, a musical medium, channeling the music that was, quote, offered to them. Channeling. The word is channeling. This is how the master occult works of the 19th and 20th centuries were written. The devil would literally take over. Demons would literally inspire the writing of these works of Satanism. Angus Young of the band ACDC stated it this way. By the time we're halfway through the first number, someone else is steering me. I'm just along for the ride. I become, there's the word, possessed when I get on stage. Someone else is steering me when I'm performing my live performances. I'm possessed. This is a demonic spirit. By beltoftruthministries.org.